Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. The Youth Partnership has done research on the topic of young people, social inclusion and digitalization in 2019. And recently it has published the Youth Knowledge Book on the same topic. In 16 chapters, the authors critically examine if and how digitalization can support the quest for social inclusion, ranging from the exploration of policies, tools and platforms available to young people and youth workers in Europe, supporting young people's access to education and employment opportunities, opening up avenues for digital youth work, providing opportunities for participation for young people with disabilities, channels of integration for migrant communities and young refugees across Europe, and support networks uh, for young LGBT people. The book will be officially presented online on the 11th of May at 11 o'clock Central European time, and you can still join the presentation. You can find the link to the event in the notes of this episode. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and together with Lana Pasic, we are talking with two editors of the book, Dan Moxon and Veronika Stefan. Enjoy listening. Welcome to our next episode of Under 30 podcast. Uh, and today we are going to talk about uh, young people social inclusion and digitalization. We have the study that was done on that in 2019. We also have a new knowledge book that just has been published by the Youth Partnership. Lana, can you explain a little bit how those two relate? Yes, of course. So in the Youth Partnership, we started working on this topic of digitalization, social inclusion and young people in 2018 through the symposium Connecting the Dots, which was held in uh, Tallinn, Estonia. And it was driven uh, by our understanding and the research, which was pointing to the fact that digitalization is playing a big part in our lives now, and especially in the lives of young people. So we wanted to see how does that impact on uh, different groups of young people and particularly on uh, social inclusion of youth. Therefore, in 2019, we started the research on the study through the questionnaire on this topic, looking at the youth policies in this area, as well as looking at platforms and tools that young people, youth workers and educators use in their daily lives. We also started work on the knowledge book to collect uh, data, knowledge, information and experiences of researchers and young people from across Europe on this topic. We covered the topic as well through perspectives on youth, through some discussions on TechLash regarding digitalization, as well as digital rights. And we have some podcasts on that as well. Okay, thank you, Lana. So we have the study, we have the book, we have also two editors, Veronica and Dan, with us. There are two big topics. There is social inclusion, there is digitalization. I think we never explain, actually, what we mean by these topics, especially digitalization. They may sound very big and scary for some people. So, Dan, can you explain us a little bit? Did you take any specific approach to defining social inclusion 
and digitalization, or, or how did you define that in, in the manual? What was your starting point? I mean, this is a really great question, uh, and you have to rewind a little bit. If you imagine a time before Corona, long ago, what would be common in the youth sector would be a lot of people would take the assumption that digital tools, digital platforms are better at reaching out to young people from all different backgrounds. And that was a kind of a thing that was said very, very commonly. And the approach we came from was being a little bit sceptical about that, about thinking about, okay, the world is increasingly connected via the internet, using digital tools, using digital platforms. And that's broadly what we mean by digitalization. And maybe the youth sector is going to do things like deliver its youth work programs on digital platforms, or maybe our youth policies are thinking about how we communicate with young people online. And what we're interested in is how does that fit in with social inclusion? And social inclusion is basically about the different groups of young people and some young people who might be left behind or find things harder to access than others. They might be discriminated against. So we're talking about people with disabilities, people from immigrant backgrounds, people living in rural areas, all these different kind of groups of young people. I mean, we live in an unequal world. So, um, you know, not everyone has the same access to things. Not everyone gets the same opportunities. So what we're looking at in all of this is in the digital world, how does that play out? If we start doing things, if we start delivering more and more of our youth work online, who gets excluded from that? Who gets included from that? How do we think about how these things fit together? And that was quite a step because actually a lot of the discussion up until that point, and certainly when we looked in the study, people are really talking about things like digital access, making sure everyone has uh, internet connections and digital skills. But what we're talking about here is something much, much bigger than that. We're talking about do the spaces we create online, are they welcoming and inclusive to everyone? Do they allow different community groups to find their voice, to be heard, to connect with each other? Or is it really dominated by particular ways of thinking, using technology that might not be usable to people from all sorts of backgrounds or different language groups? So th these are really the things we're talking about. And a big part of the book and the study was trying to just explore how these things fit together because we weren't really sure when we started this. Veronica, would you like to add something? Yes, I think among the many things we have discussed, the one problem in the first challenge was to actually define and find the intersection between youth, social inclusion and digitalization. But the way we also looked at it was, uh, and probably it's also a way we can still further explore it, and that is digitalization understood as the use of internet and technology, which can be seen separately, but also together, because you can still use technology without the internet, but then sometimes they are necessary to be combined. But then you have, as Dan was mentioning, the access to internet and technology. And then we are also dealing, of course, with competencies and educational opportunities, but also the way you can shape technology or the technology world. And I think these dimensions more or less can reflect on what is also the dynamic between social inclusion, youth and digitalization. Digitalization in itself, it's not something that happens or it takes place just in one place. 
it's a process in itself. So it does mean you have to have the tools and the means. And in the study, we also made this nuance between the use of technology and internet and the access, because the access we already knew before the pandemic, and that is, it was really limited for many groups from the society, young people, youth workers, everyday citizens. But even when we looked at the use of internet and technology, differences were quite huge. And I think that was the the fine touch we brought, because we are a bit too often used to say, oh, we are on social media, I use my computer every day, but then for which of these purposes you actually engage with this technology and internet was a fine distinction we tried to make and bring to the table. And I think if I can add to that, Veronica, one of the things we talk a lot of in the book about is the idea of virtual communities. Digital technology isn't just a hammer we can think about, or you know, a saw or a tool that you use. We can think about the digital world as a space where communities form and interact together. So we've got some really interesting chapters thinking about, say, how refugees use WhatsApp communities to communicate with each other as they migrate across places. We've got a great, a really interesting chapter about young queer communities and how they form to support each other, but also things about how different language communities are marginalised in the online space. So we can talk about digitalization as both spaces and communities but also tools and access and things that are used as well. Great and I think some of these uh, topics that you opened up are also things we would like to speak about a little bit more but maybe we can start first with some of the main learnings uh, from the study. Veronica mentioned already what are the things that we explored in terms of the access and in terms of the use. So maybe you can tell us what were the main findings and what did we learn from the surveys and from the information that was collected from youth organizations and young people? Yeah, I think it's really important to stress this part, how the study is positioned basically in this momentum, but also historically, because the study in itself will be a milestone, being positioned at the crossroads in the life before and after the pandemic. And basically, its outcomes very much reflect the world before the pandemic. And if it is a great asset, is that we actually can have a first X-ray of how people perceive technology and how they perceive their own interaction with the programs they were developing at that time. And in this context, we can also read the findings because we did have a first large exercise of mapping what were the policies that were developed and were implemented at the European level, but also the national level. And what we did is also to look in what happens in the youth bubble, but also what happens in the digital bubble, which doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they overlap often. But we did mention to, we did manage to map the different processes that existed, at least in the EU and the Council of Europe framework. And I think that's a good starting point, at least in this new process, when the entire world is looking to define how technology should be shaped. And we were providing this first step. And basically pinpointing to the gaps where those policies were not overlapping, where those policies could have been better implemented. There were several practices at the national level, but so far we have been this fragmentation, digital on the one side, youth, and sometimes social inclusion on the other side. So in terms of policies and the desk review that we have done, we have done a first step in this direction that can be further continued. From the practice side, from the 
input and mapping of different tools that are being used, but also in terms of educational practices that were happening. We looked at what happens for the young people and for the youth workers. So what are the tools and platforms that young people use and what are the tools and opportunities youth workers have? What we managed to find basically it was clustered in six main topics based on the platforms and the tools we have identified and that is the different uses in terms of scope and what kind of activities they're used for. On the one hand we found several platforms related to educational professional guidance then on information and counseling then on health and then others on online safety, dialogue and consultation and the ones that specifically targeted disadvantaged groups. And we were very happy to discover those, but it was a bit like the needle in a haystack to discover them because not so many platforms were specifically designed in the first place for young people exclusively and on a second level for young people with fewer opportunities. Also, an important note for us was to understand that young people not very often were engaged in developing these programs or platforms. And basically, for that time, it was the first finding. Probably by now, we already know and we have confirmed from other studies and other initiatives that are just happening that is a general pattern. Young people are not engaged in designing the platforms, but not even engaged in deciding about how technology is shaped. So basically, the policy part. And I think it was, and that's why I started with this positioning ourselves in the history of the digital and youth world. When we were looking at this in 2019, we didn't expect that the pandemic was coming. But I think on those results, we have to build now. And it was unfortunately probably a bit too late to have that uh, x-ray. But I think it was better than uh, never. Or it would have been a pity not to have it before this turmoil. Because the realities and the perceptions are quite different now. I think this question of young people being involved in building digital platforms in the youth sector is really interesting because what I saw before the pandemic was a lot of the youth sector trying to build apps and make things and make platforms and make tools and frankly I don't think they were very good actually. I think apps and these sorts of things they're exceptionally expensive to make they cost billions of dollars of investment and in a way that sits counter to youth work principles which is perhaps about going and working with young people where they are and where they are is on commercially made apps run by American corporations and Chinese companies which frankly function a lot better but there are huge huge ethical tensions about that we've got a really nice chapter in the book that looks at the idea of algorithmic stereotyping and the role of how large American tech companies basically kind of enforce ideas and norms and standards through the fact that you have quite a small group of the population, basically American male billionaires designing these things. And that's a real challenge for the youth sector. Do we go and use this world where there are lots of issues about privacy, where there are lots of issues about the creeping power of these organisations, which sits counter to some of the things we care about, like democracy? Or do we try and develop our own platforms and tools where, frankly, it's very expensive and we have to do a lot of work to attract young people to use these platforms when they aren't using them anyway and and maybe the user experience isn't that great and we've got a real ethical tension and decision to make about how we go about using online tools going forward. 
Thank you, Dan. I'm jumping in just to add that actually yesterday we had a webinar and discussion on this topic of digital youth work, arguing that soon it will not be called digital anymore or online because soon we will have a completely different concept for how we will be working with young people because we have to bridge this online and offline. But what I wanted to jump in is uh, this question of whether the youth sector should be developing the tools, because this is actually what was brought up yesterday, and uh, whether this is feasible and how it can be done. But maybe then to go back to the book, because I know that some of the chapters do explore uh, the role of young people uh, in developing platforms and the role of young people within the different themes uh, and topics in digitalization. Yeah, I think one of the interesting ones for me, I suppose there's a difference between developing and and maybe moderating platforms. So one of the chapters we have in the book is about the experiences of young people from LGBTQIA backgrounds, about using online tools. There's some really interesting discussion there. There's one of the, the authors is a man from Poland who curates a space for trans people online Uh, and as you know the rights of of trans people in Poland are are not particularly well respected so actually by running and creating a space where people can access and talk to each other and hosting this kind of platform himself using Facebook's technology he's really doing some interesting things as an activist to support other people in the, the trans community so how we create platforms is not just about the technology behind them, but it's about the the cultures, the communities, the ways of interacting that we evolve together as we talk to each other. On the flip side, you've got some real limits around the technology itself. So we have a couple of chapters looking at the inclusion of people with disabilities or with visual impairments, where the authors there are really talking strongly about how the tools need redesigning because you just can't use them if you have a visual impairment or they're just fundamentally not accessible if you have communication needs. And then we have some really interesting, there's a really interesting one about use of WhatsApp in rural areas where exactly this blended approach, kind of a face-to-face youth work combined with digital youth work. You have a couple of young people who are kind of leading the way their youth project interacts with other young people in using digital messaging tools and setting the boundaries, the standards, what's expected about how people interact and how they interact with their youth workers through that. There's all sorts of things going on there that are really exciting to explore more and talk about. And and I wouldn't pretend for a minute we've got all the solutions and all the advice in this book, but certainly plenty of questions. Reflecting a bit on this question, who should develop the technology? So far, we are reliant on technology that is created by tech companies. Technology companies are private companies who, by design and by mission, they have a private interest. So as much as we like it or we don't like it, they don't necessarily have to change their philosophy of making money and business. Basically, what I'm saying is that if we want platforms that are tailored and have a different mindset behind them and offer that uh, inclusive approach to young people and whoever wants to use them, then you have to create different ones. You have to move and shift the discussion from the messaging group, from the social media group to a different one, more tailored one. It doesn't mean all of us have to create a platform. It's just like with the mobile apps. Also, 
by the way, I think we are misusing words very easily. The fact that we have created a website, it's not necessarily a platform, by the way. The fact that you have created the mobile app where the only two features are that you post information and you offer a chatting, it's not a platform. So it doesn't really pay off for me to install it on my phone, let alone to install thousands of them. So, of course, developing them, it has to happen in a very coherent and organized way. It doesn't have to be just a regular organization that has to have millions of euros in order to develop it. But it can think about partnerships of how to do it. And we have seen it recently in the Portuguese presidency that in connection to the European Youth Event, they have proposed a hackathon. You know, it's so basic, so simple. It's not like you had one million of teams there fighting to propose new platforms and ideas, but there were a few. That's a starting point, and that's a way of how you can do it. You can do it at the local level, European, and whatever way you think it's most relevant. But we have to get out of the existing platforms. I'm not saying that what happened during the pandemic, it was not normal to actually use whatever you had at hand, but that happened because it was a crisis situation. So moving from this crisis response... We have to move to a more planned approach to digital tools to be really meaningful. And I'm not saying always it has to be the youth organization. Sometimes it can be the youth organization together with the government. We also have to fit in the bigger digital transformation plan. I know strategies and ideas are already happening. So we don't always have to have our separate bubble and parallel world sometimes. I think that thing you said there, Veronica, about moving is really important and it's crucial not to lose that because we talk sometimes like a a group of people uses only one platform. But if we start to think about communities, you might have a community of young people, say, in the highlands of Scotland, who are using the youth centre, who are using the chat group the youth centre provides, who are using a Facebook group, who are using all sorts of things. And, And when we start to talk more about communities, who's included, who's excluded from those communities, how those communities have a digital dimension and a real world dimension, or not in some cases, then we can really think properly about inclusion, because it, it's the, the, the tools we're interacting digitally with those communities is, is, is one dimension, but actually people move around and between those tools, and people interact with each other in different ways. Although the digital world can really seem strange and alien to, to youth workers, Actually, so much of it is is if we really step back to our principles and think about if what we're talking about is community building, if what we're talking about is how people interact and how people connect with each other, then actually a lot of our principles we can really bring in a way that's perhaps less tied down by the specifics of a piece of technology and more about how we build groups of people that interact with each other as part of our practice, really. What is the future then? How do you see the future in terms of digital reality of young people and social inclusion? I think the pandemic's been a massive incubator. And I think, do you know this phrase, if you have a million monkeys sitting at a million typewriters, eventually one of them will write the works of Shakespeare. I feel like we've had a million youth workers at a million Zoom accounts. And in a few months' time, the really great ideas, the things that have worked really well, will start to, to happen as a result of that. I see a space for a new type of youth worker. I think we have to be open about the fact that many people in our profession go into this work and are in this world because they like doing small group work with face-to-face interacting with people. And actually what we're doing online and in digital spaces is very much related to comms and marketing work. It's very much related to presentation work. 
And at some point, I think it's reasonable to say that there are some very different skills we need for that as, as individuals and we'll have to develop those. I think we've got a long, long way to go in terms of making our tools and platforms accessible and a lot of thinking to do around data and protection around those. The youth sector at the moment is a little bit too loose about just using any old thing without considering where people's data is going, how that's saved, what their implications for privacy are, who owns the account and this sort of stuff. So we, we do need to get to a space of institutions working through which apps and platforms are the most suitable and the safest for the things that we do and, and approving that. And that will create some limits in places. And then I think the wider conversation is also about how young people are involved in shaping what the digital future is as a whole. We, we haven't touched on this much in the study, but there are some really important things going on about internet governance, how the online world is regulated, ruled and, and controlled that are really hugely important for democracy. They're not something that necessarily the youth sector is going to be heavily involved in, but actually in terms of young people shaping and driving that, recognising that they're the generation that's using this technology and going to inherit what we create, it's really important that we do some political work to give young people from all backgrounds a voice in how uh, the internet and digital technology as a whole develops. I'll continue then and I'll, be in, I'll build on your very last point, this part with how the internet and digital world is shaped and how much we actually need we need young people, but we also need organized youth. We really need the youth organizations to be youth work organization, whatever kind of youth-led or youth for organization. I think we need them at this table. They are not present. I think we have to start from this reality. There are groups of young people that take part in these international debates, most of the times in the UN Council of Europe framework, where these debates are quite advanced. Um, but they are not necessarily representatives of youth organizations. They are young experts or young professionals that are interested in those topics. Some of them have a technical background or policy background, but we need to democratize that kind of participation. We really need to bring it to the youth organizations, possibly at the grassroots, because just then we will understand what means to be anonymous online, what means the privacy part, because we don't internalize it. We just have this feeling that it's happening somewhere, someone is dealing with it, it's not touching me until it actually impacts me directly and I'm affected by that. I even don't know who are the stakeholders, who should I go to, what happens when I feel abused or bullied online, you know, I mean, those specific things, what happens? Okay, I reported to the platform, where does it go after that? What else can I do? All these things. So that would be one. And Dan pointed it well. Then I think what I hope that will happen in the future, and I hope I'm not uh, negative in that way, is that we forget what happened in this pandemic in a way. We don't consider this more than this incubator or trial <laughs> uh, experience that we had. And we actually think that it was good as it had to be like this. And now we start a planning process. We, as organizations, as experts, civil society organizations, and any other stakeholder, we need to go through a specific digital transformation process and strategy. So it's not just the government, it's not just the EU, it's all of us at the micro level that have to have this planning. And be mindful of the tools, be mindful of the processes, be mindful of the competences we need. This is not the one-time thing that happens. It's not something I have learned last year or this month. It's something that I have to upgrade myself constantly. So it has to be a process. If we don't understand that and we don't plan for that, 
financially, with human resources, and everything will not get there. And on the other hand, I think we will have to understand a bit better what these hybrid or blended forms, those where the digital and face-to-face are going to continue, and actually understand what is the benefit of those parts, what we can keep and what we can still go back to what we had before and, I know, still advance some of the only digital things. It's not so easy to say blended. Of course, it's easy. You reach out to more people. You can interact now with those that are here present, but also those that are watching through a webinar. It's not the same, actually. And even there, the methodology is different. So you'll have the online, you'll have the face-to-face, and you'll have the hybrid. And I think uh, those are different points of research. I would really like us to look more for research, for practice, for whatever you want, and see how, how to do it, you know, but do it now. Really, let's not lose this momentum. I have a fear that uh, the pandemic will go and then we'll go back to more urgent things. I don't know what urgent is, but I'm sure we'll have a reason for that. And I think, I hope we talk a little bit less about digital skills as well, which might sound a little bit odd. But in the youth sector, we don't talk about reading and writing very much because we generally sort of accept that our formal education system takes care of that, that not everyone but a large majority of the population have literacy and numeracy skills. And I hope digital skills becomes like that so that we start to move to a place where we have a society, a European society, which generally has digital skills. So it becomes more of an accepted thing within youth work that that. The, the large majority, not everyone, would have these skills and, and where what we can focus on is, is, is something beyond that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Veronica. This all sounds very, very interesting. We, of course, encourage everybody to have a look at the book. I hope that this book can help people in thinking and planning, as Veronica was saying, planning what the future is going to look like when it comes to digital reality of young people and social inclusion of young people. Thanks again. That's all for today.